You're listening to the 1208-Bit Nerd Church Podcast. Join us on Discord. Well, uh, I thought we'd do a mini-series, and this will not be a very long series, but essentially we'll be hopping into the kaiju of the Bible, um, which there's not very many in it, but I'm just curious, when I say kaiju, you know, be thinking of uh, Mothra, Gamera, Godzilla. The Bible has these giant creatures in it as well. Um, does anybody know any of them offhand? There's at least three that we could hop into king Ghidorah. sorry king and in the bible though (laughs) oh got you um leviathan Leviathan is one yep there's at least two more uh book of job has a behemoth behemoth is one which my entire life growing up i called it behemoth because that was always in uh Final Fantasy, and I didn't realize I was pronouncing it wrong until someone talked about someone being a behemoth of a man. Then I was like, oh! <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Carl, did you to have another one? Um, no, no, Leviathan, Behemoth. Those are only two that I, I, I can think of. The Golgothan? Okay. The four-headed beast in uh, Revelation? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, there are the um, Beasts of Revelation. uh, Because Revelation uses a lot of general fantastic imagery, sometimes it feels a little different when they're mentioned, but they actually do fit into this, and we'll get into that um, during this series. So, yeah, that works too. The other one is a little lesser known. Uh, Its name is Rahab. The one that we'll focus on today is the, like, the main one in the Bible, um, Leviathan, and I want to kind of give you a few glimpses into the story of Leviathan. Um, but the primary place in which we find these monsters a lot of times is going to be in um, the book of Job. And part of the reason for that, in my understanding, uh, and my my current professor agreed with this recently, I don't think Job was an Israelite. I think Job followed uh, Yahweh, but he followed him um, um, as an outsider of the faith. And the reason that I think that is because if you pay really close attention to the kind of stuff that Job gets into, he breaks a lot of rules when it comes to the things that Israelites do and don't write about in the Scripture. For example, since they believed that stars were spiritual beings, they were often very careful to not mention the names of stars and uh, um, um, constellations and things like that. They make reference to such things, but they don't usually call them by name because in a lot of other cultures, those beings were like the gods. Now, to Israelites, stars were also spiritual beings, and spiritual beings could therefore be lumped into the term gods because gods were just spiritual beings and they're not like the one true god um but gods means more or less like a spiritual being it's a elohim um 
But Job breaks those rules. So like in Genesis, God makes the bigger light and the lesser light, which for us, we're like, well, obviously that's the sun and the moon. God made the sun and the moon. Why not just call it the sun and the moon? The answer is possibly because uh, the sun and the moon are names of deities and they didn't want people reading the creation story to get confused about God just like creating lesser gods to then rule over creation and things like that. So they, they use their words wisely. But Job, Job often writes in ways where like, wow, it almost sounds like this guy has beliefs that come from another culture. But at the same time, he takes his culture and he submits it before Yahweh, the one true God whom he follows. And so... He, yeah, he like takes his own culture and then turns it into, um, he baptizes it more or less. So unlike the other Bible writers who are afraid to mention stars, Job is going to mention constellations like Pallades and things like that, um, because that's a part of his culture. And within his culture is also, also uh, Leviathan. Now, Leviathan, when we read about it, it's a pretty... Uh, in-depth poem within Job. It When you read it, and you can read it for yourself later if you want. I mean, the whole book of Job really works up to Leviathan as like this epic poem of God keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, God can see all of creation. God rules over the deer and the ostriches and the lions and things like that until finally we get to Job 41, which is right towards the end of the book. It's like, the culmination of ruling over creation. Now suddenly we see God reigning over Leviathan himself. Um, in fact, I'll just read it. Job 41. Here's how Leviathan has is described. He's no mere lion or anything like that. Like this is the creature of creatures. Uh, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him as your servant forever? Will you play with him as a bird, or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your head on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Sorry, lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who could come near him with a br bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? Around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields. Shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezings flash forth light. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils comes forth smoke. As from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals and a flame comes forth from his mouth. Okay, it keeps going on from there. Um, 
Now, if you were to read modern-day scholars who are trying to figure this out, many of them are going to try to liken it to a modern-day animal that they're aware of. Anybody want to take a stab just out of the poem that I read there? What animal um, many scholars are going to go for? Dragon. Dragon. Uh, thank you for being a nerd, Dustin, because that is exactly, I think, what you should be thinking of. As far as like a modern-day animal that we're aware of that we think that uh, uh, Job might have seen in real life. Anybody have any overtones of anything? Rhinos? Rhinos are going to be closer to Behemoth. Um, oh, you were talking about Leviathan. Okay, sorry. Yep. Um, gators. Gators, right. Yep. So I... I find that a little bit hilarious. I mean, this is like this huge poem. And yeah, you could put an alligator in this. They're pretty scary, but I don't remember if it was an alligator or a crocodile. But when I was in Florida, I stepped over one and survived, <laughs> which was stupid. And you should never do that. Um, but I pulled it off. Me, my brother, and grandpa. It was in our way on an alligator farm. And we just stepped over it so we could keep going which I think we weren't supposed to do and probably risked our lives. But nonetheless, um, we did it. And the way that this thing's talked about, it's like like, like Dustin said, you, you're thinking of it as breathing fire, you know, like the way that it's written about, it's terrifying. Like this is, again, it's the poem of all creatures in Job. It's the peak of it. And God's trying to say like that thing, I reign over that too. Uh you wouldn't put that thing on a leash for your girls, but it's my pet, is what God says. Now, if you go into other cultures, you're going to find that Leviathan is like, it's almost like a god. It's like a spiritual being of sorts. It's like a, the way that Job talks about it, it very easily appears to be a water dragon um, that uh, seems to breathe fire and it's got waves coming out of it i mean whatever this thing is it's a lot more terrifying than an alligator and trying to pretend that it's an alligator is almost hilarious in a, a certain sense but i understand that modern scholars are trying to think what did job see that he would try to describe i just think they're way underdoing it when they do that especially in ancient cultures where they had lots of gods and they had descriptions of what they thought their gods were like and and they had these ideas of of um what very clearly here seems to almost be like a dragon um and i think if you follow what casey said earlier about revelation having these monsters i think you'll actually find that john is borrowing from this passage when he's talking about um John talks about a beast that comes out of the sea and a beast that comes out of the land. You guys remember this in Revelation? Um, yeah. Yeah. The behemoth very much seems like a swamp or land monster, whereas Leviathan seems like a sea monster. And so I think John takes this from Revelation later, and he's trying to imagine, like, what are the chaos creatures that exist within the Bible Okay, so imagine Leviathan of the sea kind of rising up and all the sea with it. And now imagine um, imagine Behemoth of the land rising up and all the land rising up with him. And just imagine that 
all of the world before God fixes it just falls into pure chaos. Because um, these these kind of creatures fit really well into a theme that scholars used to talk about, uh, which are more or less chaos monsters. Like they they live in chaos, they thrive in chaos, and God is bigger than the chaos. And that's why you have um, uh, God depicted in Isaiah. Well, he's depicted in Job as just like having Leviathan on his leash because he's he's Leviathan as scary as he is. He's nothing in comparison to God. Um, but you also have in Isaiah uh, that God takes his sword and pierces Leviathan. In fact, there's some Jewish literature out there uh, that Revelation almost borrows from but doesn't. There's some Jewish literature out there where it seems like at the end of all things, Leviathan is killed and and all of the Christians just kind of eat him for the rest of eternity. <laughs> That's the great wedding feast of the Lamb. We all eat the satanic beast of the deep. Uh, but Revelation doesn't go there, but there was some Jewish literature that seemed to lean that direction. So yeah, some scholars are going to want to take it the real route. This was an alligator, but it makes way more sense in the way that Job talks to take it the mythical route, that this is like a a little G God that was scary in other cultures. It was chaos, and yet it's nothing in comparison to God. So Leviathan's going to show up in Isaiah where he's stabbed by God, and it's going to show up in uh, Job where it's explained, but God is greater than him. There's another place, though, where he's he's not really named, but I think he does show up does anybody want to take a guess as to another place where he might be but not not by name daniel uh that would be a good place for mythical creatures um i don't i can't think of a spot in daniel where he shows up but if there was a place that would definitely be one <laughs> yeah I, I i was taking a stab at it I didn't, I didn't really recall any part of daniel that said anything that resembled it but yeah, well, in some ways, I mean, Daniel's going to, Revelation's going to borrow from Daniel's beasts. So it's possible that Daniel does borrow from Leviathan and then John borrows from Daniel. So could go that route. Um, yeah, you might be right. I don't have it off the top of my head, though. What I do have, though. So uh, I don't fully, yeah, okay. I haven't researched this one in a while, but um, when Jonah is thrown off the boat, we aren't given a full description exactly. Like, you know, we just kind of have it interpreted that he's swallowed by a big fish. And for a lot of us, we think of like a whale or something like that. You know, that's just generally is the way that people have thought about it over time. But if you look at old depictions of art throughout history of of Jonah and the whale, if you will, you'll be surprised that Jonah is swallowed by what looks like a water dragon. <laughs> and that seems kind of strange uh, that people throughout history have kind of depicted it in that light until you think about it um, further with the poem that Jonah writes. So when Jonah's sinking, he talks about how he sees the roots of Sheol, that he like sinks to the bottom. And now he sees like he starts in some ways, he's poetically saying, like, I've entered into the afterlife where all the dead go. I, I reached the very bottom of Sheol. And um, 
it does seem that there's some possibilities as scholars see that like Leviathan, especially because it can have those satanic overtones, especially in Revelation and things like that, that Leviathan uh, could be representative of like a, uh, it could be representative of the afterlife because uh, chaos is water, and this creature lives in the chaos, and God is a God of order, not chaos. So God exists within order, um, and that this this water, this big fish, this water creature, this water dragon, is Sheol itself personified as a creature, as Leviathan, eating up Jonah, taking him into Sheol, but then Jonah is spit out on land. And the reason that that especially makes sense is because of something that Jesus says later. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because later Jesus is going to say um, the sign, the only sign that's going to be given this generation is the sign of Jonah. Uh, three days and nights in the belly. And that right there, it, Jesus is talking about the cross. So we know that Jesus like actually descends into Sheol or Hades as it's called in the New Testament, spends three days there and then is spit out by Hades. He's spit out by death, spit out by Satan, um, and then moves on to the resurrection. And Jonah in many ways is like, for Jesus, Jonah is a foreshadow of that. Just as Jonah went to death, just as Jonah went to Sheol, but was spit out back to life, so Jesus will go to Hades or Sheol and be spit out back to life. And so Leviathan now plays kind of like this satanic beast that one day God is going to slay entirely at the end of Revelation. And the idea is that all chaos all evil, all death, all Sheol, all Hades is going to be done away with completely because God won't have need for it anymore. And all of that will just be tossed into the lake of fire where it will be consumed into nothingness. And then there will be no more water dragon or Sheol to return to. So, yeah, you, you see the Bible play around with Leviathan a little bit. Um, and... We're, we'll talk a little bit about Rahab next time when we get into this, but honestly, Rahab is basically the same thing as Leviathan. The way that Rahab is described, it's like, well, couldn't this be the exact same thing? Um, and 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 it probably is, just kind of different names for this for the same creature. Uh, but also to Casey's credit, and you guys might see some Greek emphasis here too. Um, when Isaiah talks about uh, Leviathan, uh, he talks about it as a dragon in the sea, as a twisty serpent, um, and it's a it's a serpent with seven heads. So, first off, that that easily strikes up images in our minds of Hydra. You know these other chaos creatures that existed in other cultures showing that leviathan kind of seemed to evolve to to take on other names and meanings throughout other people's cultures um but also uh when you get to revelation and you see this beast come out of the water with seven heads a lot of times we're like oh what do the seven heads represent like you know like seven is such a big number for john so what's he trying to get at well john may just be referencing isaiah you guys remember that twisting serpent water dragon that had seven heads in in isaiah well john just described a twisting water dragon serpent that has seven heads in revelation 
So rather than get hung up on uh, interpretation of the number, sometimes you can just step back and be like, oh, I know what John's talking about. He's taking Leviathan. Uh, and that's that thing that God is getting ready to slay. But first, all of chaos and revelation is let loose on the world because the world has worshipped chaos and decided that that's what they want. And after chaos has kind of had its day to, to reign, then God slays it completely to bring about the resurrection and establish only order to the point that um, water doesn't even exist. Uh, sorry, not water, but oceans. When you get to Revelation, oceans don't exist anymore uh, by the time God puts things right. And the idea is that oceans were always a part of chaos. It was never fully ordered in Genesis. It was already there when God started creating the world. And one day he will get rid of that too to finish completely ordering everything. So there's a lot of insight and a lot of uh, meaning behind much of what the Bible authors are trying to say, both metaphorically, mythically, supernaturally. But in the end, if you want the main takeaways, God is bigger than Leviathan. God is bigger than chaos. God is bigger than death. He's bigger than Sheol. He's bigger than all of it. We might be scared of it. It might be terrifying to us. But for him, it's just on his leash. Um, it's like a pet, and it has no power over him, even if it seems that way at first. Uh, God mocks it in the Bible and kills it in the Bible. So, Any final thoughts or applications to your own life as we're wrapping this chat up? So you kind of see a prefiguration of some of this stuff going on in Christ's own baptism. Um because as he enters the waters, again, he kind of sanctifies and kind of eliminates from the, uh, like the oceans of chaos that you're mentioning, Jamin, all of like the death and like its association with death and Leviathan and the water gods. Matter of fact, in historical iconographic depictions of Christ's baptism, you'll see these tiny puny little like water gods and water deities off to the side, kind of being like pushed out of the waters to make room for Christ's own baptism. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Is that highlighted more in kind of Orthodox tradition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, almost every single um, iconographic depiction you're going to see of, of his baptism, you'll see that. Uh, as Again, as a prefiguration of his, um, you know, ultimate victory on the cross over, you know, not just, you know, the water deities and Leviathan, but over all little g-gods and so on. Yeah. Well, that's cool, because that I mean, when we think of water, it's not that we've tamed it today, but, you know, we have these giant ocean liners and we have parties and all that. Whereas in ancient culture, it's like water was terrifying. You never knew when a storm was going to show up. You just, it could take you in a moment. You didn't know what lived down there. We still don't know what lives down there today, but back then they knew even less. And so like water was just pure chaos. So yeah, when you think of baptism and Jesus going into it, that's cool. That's cool that Orthodox really kind of emphasizes that because that has, I think, more ancient overtones to it than a lot of times of what we give it today in our beach yeah. kind of thinking. Yeah, Yeah, and in that same way, like we don't uh, view baptism as you know just salvific, but also it's kind of we are enjoining ourselves into that victory. Um, so again, as Christ is being baptized, we are baptized unto Christ. Therefore, we kind of join him in that usurping of leviathan and the other little g gods um yeah that's cool i like that
Uh, this is kind of a side note. This one's just for free for all of you. Um, a lot of times when we think of evangelism in today's culture, we think of uh, going to places and turning people into white Christians, if you know what I mean. Like there are some there are some other countries when you go to the churches there, you're like, okay, what is this? I feel like this is a white church, but I'm in Africa and nobody here is white. You know, clearly the people who evangelize this place had a specific way of going about it. I think an interesting piece with Job and Isaiah, it's like they're borrowing from other people's cultures. They're just submitting it to to Yahweh, you know? So like for Isaiah, it's just like, yeah, sure, you've got another God named Leviathan. My God kills your God. <laughs> yeah, not, not super uh, sensitive or anything there, um, but he knows where their specific culture kind of belongs within his own culture or job job is a different kind of sensitivity though like he he comes before yahweh with his own traditions of things like leviathan these other gods but job doesn't seem to see leviathan in his mind as he doesn't talk about him like he's not real he just submits him to where he belongs oh those dragon gods out there those water gods like they are below the one true God whom I worship, and they're nothing in comparison to him. And they subject their faith to God. And I think that's a little better of, of what evangelism in the New Testament is supposed to be like. Um, the Paul was not going around trying to create more Jewish people. He was going around trying to take uh, the people of other cultures and submit them before Yahweh so that their own cultures could be baptized or redeemed or subjected to god and that means that there's going to be some pieces of their cultures that are just going to go away um but then there's going to be other pieces of their culture that god has a way of of redeeming and sometimes it takes a little while for people to redeem culture honestly there's a lot of american culture that severely needs some redemption that um we are not seeing it rightly and so um even within Christian tradition, that there's a lot that we need to subject before God for him to bring about bring about the baptism of our own American culture. So, yeah, with that, um, we'll hop into some, two more of these creatures in the following weeks, and you'll see some of the other ways in which God overlaps, um, in which the Bible overlaps like Rahab with other traditions and brings them into the biblical tradition and then subjects it before Yahweh. You'll see some more of that. So with that, uh, we'll bring it up to an end. So God, we give ourselves to you. You are the God of gods, King of kings, the Lord of lords. And you reign over Sheol. You reign over death. You reign over Leviathan. You reign over Satan. And whatever chaos they cause in our lives today or any time down the road, it will all come to an end as you um, uh, exert your omnipotence one day in fullness over them and slay them entirely to bring about only peace and only order so we look forward to that day and we ask that you would slay the leviathan that is in each of us that you would bring about only peace and only order in our resurrected bodies in jesus name amen